I love to hear them sing. What a sweet couple. Thank the Lord for them. Open your Bibles tonight to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. I want to speak to you tonight about the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. Second Timothy chapter 1, our text for the message is found in verse number 7 where Paul writes to Timothy, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We hear a lot today about panic attacks. I you know, that's a phrase I never heard growing up. I I don't remember exactly how old I was when I heard it for the first time, but uh, but I, I had no idea what it was. I, I'd never, never heard of such a thing as that. But the fact of the matter is, it is a very serious disorder for a lot of people, and they absolutely are miserable as a result of it. Whenever you add to that the, what we refer to as the war on terrorism and all of the other difficulties that we face in the normal course of life, it's, it ought to be easy for us to see that fear is a real, genuine problem. And it can take many different forms. And... Uh, doesn't look like we're making much progress, by the way, considering society as a whole. And so since we're not finding the solution anywhere else, I want to suggest that maybe, maybe we ought to look to the Bible for the answer, don't you think? At some point in time, we need to stop listening to the doctors and the psychologists and what have you and just listen to what God says. And one of the one of the reasons for Paul's writing here, this second letter, was to help young Timothy to overcome his fear. And I think that's evident whenever you read the first seven verses because he is writing for the purpose of instructing him, inspiring him, and strengthening him for the work at Ephesus. He expresses his concern for Timothy he reminds him about his family tradition, his mother and grandmother, of course, and then he says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, and that's our subject. I, I, I said a while ago, I, I'd never heard the phrase panic attack, and uh, in fact, I had never experienced anything growing up of being what what people would call nervous or anxiety, or I didn't have enough sense, I guess, to, you know, to to be that way, until I surrendered to preach, and so on the on the on the first the first time that I was given an opportunity to preach, all of a sudden the strange thing is the pastor's wife had given Bev a. Uh, I don't know, some kind of a nerve pill or something to relax her. I, I never did figure that out. Why, you know, I was the one who's going to try to preach, but she gave her the pill. And um, 
So I got up there and opened my mouth and started, and nothing was coming out. I just, and all of a sudden, my my mouth got as dry as cotton. I'd never experienced that in all of my life. I didn't know what it was. I I thought, well, you know, something's wrong with me because I mean, I, I, my mouth's so dry I can't even spit, and I I can't hardly talk, and I didn't know what was going on until after the fact. And I thought, surely I'd preach, you know, 45 minutes or so, and uh, I, I really doubt if I made 20. I, I don't quite remember. I do remember the, the message itself, by the way, but, uh, uh, but I was in a fearful situation. Whenever the Lord called me to preach, I realized right from the get-go that this, this is just not going to work. Surely if God ever made a mistake, this was it because... You know, I, I'm I'm the kid that never would give an oral book report in school, and uh, I proudly I proudly graduated because I got a D minus in one of my classes that that got me through. I never failed a class in all the 12 years of school, but I did get a D minus my senior year. And uh, in fact, the teacher said, if you don't get up and give a Oral book report, uh, you're going to fail. And I said, you do what you got to do, but I am not getting up there in front of all the other kids and giving a book report. I'll write it out or whatever you want me to do. So when the Lord called me to preach, I, 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 I couldn't imagine me standing up in front of people uh, and, and speaking. It was just something beyond me. But I... I I trusted God and just believed that uh, somewhere or another God was going to work it out. You know, I think all of us at different times in our life, we need some kind of encouragement or a swift kick or something to kind of kickstart us and get us going. And one of the biggest obstacles that we have to face is this thing called fear. It might be that I mentioned this morning it was so good to see you know, young people up here singing because I realize that at least with most of them, uh, they they have a difficulty to start with in overcoming that fear and getting up there in front of people and singing like that. And they need all of the encouragement that they can get. Um, I'm glad that as a young preacher, I had uh, some people that encouraged me. Um, of course, my wife being the greatest encouragement that I've ever had. Uh, when I was growing up, I, I had the privilege of, uh, of being very well acquainted with a man by the name of Tom Greenway. You don't know him, but he's a very famous man. He was my grandpa's best friend. And uh, in fact, Tom used to come and watch me play ball. It so happened that Tom Greenway was a scout for the New York Yankees, and he's the man that signed Mickey Mantle. Mickey uh, lived over in Oklahoma, just on the other side of Joplin, Missouri, and uh, no doubt in my mind, had not been for the injuries and the drinking, would have been the greatest baseball player ever. But the point is, in 1951, he was just a teenager then, and the Yankees had signed him. And so the Yankees uh, sent him back down out of the big leagues, down to the minor leagues, and Mickey got discouraged and was ready to quit. So 
So he called his daddy and told him what had happened. And his daddy came up to Kansas City where he was and uh, came up and talked to him. And his daddy said, okay, son, if that's, if that's all of the guts you have, you might as well come home with me and work in the zinc mines, which are lead mines all around Joplin up there. And uh, that rebuke so stung Mickey Mantle, so embarrassed him, uh, but it also challenged him to keep trying. And so he, he kept going, and the rest is history. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. But my point is that, that all of us, at some time or another, need someone to care enough to keep us in the game, so to speak to keep us from throwing in the towel and giving up. It so happens that Paul was just that man for Timothy. And he says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So that's the subject. I want you to think about the different types of fear because we've got to take this into consideration. There is a healthy fear, naturally, You know, the Bible tells us that we're not to fear the devil, but we are to fear the Lord. Amen? There's a healthy kind of fear that God puts in us. It's a good thing to be afraid of electricity. It's a good thing to be afraid of fire and water. That is to have a healthy respect for those things because uh, those things can kill you if you're not careful. And so we need to have a respect for them. By the way, we need to respect God because He can take our life if we don't. Amen? We need to have that kind of healthy respect, that fear for God. So there is a healthy fear. You try to instill that in your children. You don't just tell them, well, you go out in the yard and play in the street. You go anywhere you want to go because you're going to be safe wherever you are. You teach them that there must be certain boundaries, certain rules and regulations that, uh, that if they stay within the confines of those boundaries, they'll be safe. If they get out in the street, a big chunk of metal, about 3,000 pounds, is just liable to run them over and kill them. And so you teach them to not run with scissors, not to play in the street. Why? Because there is a healthy fit. But there's also a harmful fear. In fact, uh, the so-called experts have cataloged over 700 different phobias. I I mean, you know, uh, some people are afraid of absolutely everything. For one person, it might be spiders. For another person, it might be snakes. You just never know. But, But all of these different fears that that literally puts some people in bondage. It paralyzes them, and it literally causes them to change their lifestyle. Here a while back, there was a program on television. I have no idea what it was about. It was a true story, and this woman was afraid to go out of the house. She, she was scared to death to get out among people or out of the house, period. And so she spent most of her life within the confines of her house. What a terrible thing to have a fear 
that would deprive you of the joy of being able to, you know, to leave the house and to get out here and to intermingle with others and to carry on normal, healthy relationships with people that you love. Uh, That'd be a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing whenever people, Christian people, are paralyzed by fear to the point that they don't even want to try to do things for the Lord. It might be they're scared to death to get up in front of people and sing. You might be surprised how many people have the ability uh, to, to sing, and yet for some reason they are afraid of what people might think. I remember, and and I'm glad I can't remember the details of this, but it happened right here, and that is that one young person, I can't remember, this is one time a poor memory, you know, kind of is a good thing, that person might be here tonight, I don't know, but one of our younger members sang a special, and someone said something negative afterwards, you know, who, who knows, probably wasn't trying to be critical, but they took it as negative, and they said, I'll never sing again, and they haven't. What a horrible, terrible thing for you to let your fear paralyze you. Look, it doesn't matter what other people think as long as you're doing what pleases God. There are people that could be used to the Lord in other ways, it might, be, it might be in teaching, it might be in preaching, it can be in a number of different ways, but in order to be used to the Lord, you've got to overcome that fear that is paralyzing you. So those are the types of fears that we have to deal with. But then there is the torment of fear. You know, there are many different negative effects of, of fear, Whenever we, you know, we, we think about how it affects us and it can affect us physically, it can affect us by way of our communications. And, and I believe that here in this letter that we find at least three different ways in which we can be negatively affected by fear. First of all, look at verse 6. Fear will cause you to forget Paul says to Timothy, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance. I put thee in remembrance. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think Paul would have said that unless it was necessary. He knew Timothy well enough to know what his need was, and he is aware of the danger of fear. And you see, fear has a way of clouding our mind. It causes us to forget Oh, I realize and I understand he didn't forget who his grandma and his mother was, literally in that sense, but he forgot in the sense that it should have had a good effect upon him. And so many times whenever we're fearful, our mind is clouded and we forget. Maybe we forget about God's goodness and God's blessings. Maybe Maybe we forget about God's promises because we are so troubled by our fear. And when that happens, things start going from bad to worse. And fear can cause you to forget. It can cause you to fail. Look at verse number 8 and notice that Paul says to Timothy in verse 8, 
Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You know, in the first place, fear keeps some people from even trying. That You know, they, they fail even before they get started. And uh, like some, someone said, and I guess it's true that public speaking is the number one fear in America. And uh, so some people won't try, but other people are fearful that they're going to make a mistake. You know, kind of like the bank robber that said, uh, don't stick with me, this is a mess up. And, and, and whenever, whenever fear takes a hold of us, you know, and uh, the rest of the story is that he handed the teller the gun and stuck out the bag, you know, but I... Uh, but fear can make you do some crazy things sometimes. It can cause you to fail. That, that's what he's talking Paul, Remember, Paul is in prison, and, and he's telling Timothy, look, don't you be ashamed of me, the prisoner of the Lord. And he's telling him and encouraging him, don't be afraid, notice, even to suffer affliction. You know, most of us are going to run as fast as we can to get away from that. Why? Because we fear the very thought that we might have to suffer. And so Paul is trying to encourage him to face the possibility of suffering lest he fail. And by the way, we're all going to fail unless we're willing to face the difficulties associated with serving God, because there's always going to be difficulties. That's exactly why my pastor, I mean like the very next week after I surrendered to preach, said, come on in my office, I want to talk to you. Some things since you've surrendered to preach, I want to talk to you. And the very first thing I want to tell you is the people that you care about the most and that you try to help the most will be the people that will end up hurting you the most. And when he said that, you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I thought, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, he just had a bad experience or something, and he thinks I will. But the fact of the matter is that is exactly how it turned out. And it turns out that way, I think, for most people, when they get serious about serving God, the greatest source of discouragement is going to come from people that they care about deeply or people that they're trying to help that will turn on them. So fear will make you forget. Fear will make you fail. Fear can make you frail. In First Timothy chapter 5, verse number 23, notice, and again, remember, Paul would not have said these things had it not been necessary he says, drink no longer water, but use, use a little wine. That's the fruit of the vine. He didn't say anything about it being fermented wine and drinking. He said, use a little wine. And, if you know, however you want to take it, whatever it is, he's talking about for medicinal purposes, for thy stomach's sake. But, but notice this next phrase, and thine often infirmities. Often infirmities. One of those infirmities was stomach trouble. Of course, back then they didn't have Rolaids and Tums and things like that. And so, you know, they used what they had in order to, 
in order to try to treat the problem. But he doesn't give us any details related to these other problems, but he had often infirmities. Doctors say that 90% of the time, the very first symptom of, of, a, of a heart attack or even of cancer is an unhealthy fear. And uh, that tells me, you know, that if we really care about our health, we better be concerned about our fears. You know, a lot of people say, well, I want to make sure I'm in good health, that I live as long as I can, so no salt for me. So you cut out the salt. Have you ever tried to eat anything with that fake salt on it? Wow, that is some nasty stuff. I, but, but anyway, they get rid of the salt. And then they say, well, you know, the eggs have got too much cholesterol in them, so you can't eat eggs. you got to do away with that. Well, the list goes on and on and on. Now, let me tell you something. You know, we, and I'm certainly not a dietary expert. I'm not an expert in anything. But I suspect there's a lot more people dying as a result of complications produced by fear than they are because of their diets. And, and so he is saying to Timothy here in regards to this, remember, he's saying that God didn't give us the spirit of fear and he relates that to his often infirmities, the difficulties, physical difficulties that he has encountered. So there are a lot of different ways that we can be negatively affected by fear. So that brings us down to the maybe the main point and the last thought that has to do with the termination of fear. How can we terminate this monster in our life? How can we get rid of it? How can we control it? And there are three things mentioned here in this verse. So it's, this is not something I'm just making up or taking a guess at, but Paul mentions three things. God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but notice, rather, he says, instead of fear, that he has given us, notice, power. So we as Christian people have been endued with power. Well, that... That makes it obvious that our Christian life does not live by willpower. I've heard different people say in regards to another person that, you know, in their eyes, and maybe rightly so, this other person was a really good, faithful servant of the Lord, and they've said things, you know, like, well, I, I wish I had, I wish I had their, their kind of faith, or I wish I had the willpower they do. But it's not by willpower that we're able to serve God. It's not scotching our feet and setting our jaw and, you know, clenching our teeth and determining we're going to do this. It's God that endues us with His power. And that's what He was talking about in Acts 1 8, where He talks about giving us power, dunamis, dynamite. In other words, He empowers us to resist temptation. We could never do that on our own. Oh, there are certain sins that we could resist, but there are other sins that you would never succeed at conquering were it not for the power of God that is within you. So He empowers us to resist temptation. He empowers us to keep going whenever others are quitting. 
He empowers us to stand firm when others are standing in opposition against us. He empowers us to keep our perspective when we suffer loss. He empowers us to press on when the load gets heavy. He empowers us to tempt what seems to be impossible. Well, this being, you know, the time near Christmas, and I think about Mary and God's conversation with Mary through the angel and her making herself available as an instrument of the Lord. And some people never stop and think about what this subjected her to, that she was willing to be used of God as a vessel and uh, to overcome the fear associated with that. Plus the fact that it seemed like it was an impossibility to start with, and yet she trusted God. And so God empowers us that we might try again even after that we have failed. He empowers us to forgive others when we ordinarily could not. He empowers us to love others unconditionally. That is, even whenever they don't change and when they don't, when they don't return the love back to us and yet we go ahead and love them, our enemies, nevertheless. You can't do those things on your own. That takes the Lord to do that. And this is the way that we conquer the fear in our life is by realizing the potential that we have with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and giving us and doing us with this great power. One of the one of the things that was such an encouragement to me was what Paul said in regards to the ministry to, to start with. And he said, uh, verse number 12 of chapter 1, this is in 1 Timothy, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. And I can remember as a young preacher reading that over and over again. In fact, I've written big amen in, in ink there right under that in my Bible. He has enabled me. What I could not do on my own, God enabled me to do. He endues us with power. Secondly, Secondly, we can terminate the fear in our life not only by realizing that we have been endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, but we've also been enriched by His love. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and what? And love. God loves us, and God enables us to love others. The great thing about this particular word here. The Greek word agape, it is exactly the same word that is used in reference to God. It speaks about that God kind of love. It speaks about a love that is willing to sacrifice. It speaks about a love that seeks the highest good of other people. It's a kind of love that keeps on loving when there is no response. It's a kind of love that continues to do good although the lover is despised or mistreated. It's that God kind of love. You know, it's not some sensual kind of love. It's not, not 
friendship, but it's the kind of love that is concerned about other people. And listen, that cannot be manufactured by man. We cannot, with all of our very best effort, do anything to make ourselves love other people. Love is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. He produces love in our life. So whenever we think about someone that maybe they, there's been an injustice, they've mistreated us in some way, and whenever we just look at it from that standpoint, we see that there's absolutely no reason why they deserve our love. And we think about, on one hand, they don't deserve it. On the other hand, on the other hand, we realize as a Christian we have an obligation to love those people, and yet, and yet we continually fail to do so. And it's only God that can enable us to love those people like that. By the way, that's the most powerful force on this earth. We'll, we'll win more people by loving them than we will by debating with them, arguing with them. You know, you can win the argument and, and, uh, and, and end up losing the friendship and turning people against you. So he says, and notice that, He's not given us a spirit of fear, but He has given us. And, and, in other words, this is something that we already have within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The fact that He's endued us with power, the fact that He has enriched us with His love, and then He has enlightened us with a sound mind. He's given us power, He's given us love, and of a sound mind. That. That, that speaks about discipline. It speaks about self-control. Control of oneself in the face of panic or passion or whatever it is that we have the ability, as it were, our God-given ability to be able to control ourselves. You know, so many times we, uh, we let our feelings control what we do. I, I get up in the morning and... Uh, get morning manna sent out and you know so many times it might be an article that I've written or it might be an article that I've copied from some other preacher maybe 100 or 200 years ago uh, just something that I feel be a blessing and a help to people and uh, so I'm certain that there are a lot of times somebody sitting on the other side of town or in another state and they're reading that and they're thinking well Boy, that is so spiritual and so helpful, and that is such a blessing. And they're probably thinking about me sitting there with a halo, you know, above my head. And boy, I, I, I'm just some kind of a super spiritual giant. And I'm sitting there. I feel horrible. I feel lousy. I hurt. I'm sick at my stomach. I whatever. And the times, you know, I think, why am I even doing this? I think I'll just skip today or what, whatever, you know. And, uh, and times that you just have to push through it because you know that I cannot let my feelings control me. That's where most of us get into trouble is our feelings take control and determine what we do or what we don't do. We make decisions, especially when we're afraid. 
You know, we use that word fear, but you could use the word worry, anxiety, or whatever, and it's all a, a type of fear. And a lot of times we make decisions that are foolish as a result of that. And that's why he is saying that God has given us a sound mind. God has enabled us to have the discipline that we need to not be controlled by our feelings and our fears, but rather to be controlled by the Lord Himself. And we think about those feelings and caving into them, and uh, we have to stop and think that if we base our decision on feelings, we're going to make some very poor choices. I think about airplane pilots. You know, a lot of times you can be in a, in a fog bank or be up in the clouds or be in a storm, and uh, you feel like you're going one direction and you're actually going another direction. Whether, in you know, you can feel like you're uh, in altitude that you're okay when actually you're losing altitude and you're headed for the ground. Uh, you know, your feelings can betray you, and that's why... That's why you have to depend upon what? The instruments. Because the instruments don't lie. The instruments will tell you where you are and where you're going. And all of us need that kind of guidance in our life that we're not controlled by our fears. Does anybody know what the very last, uh, the last thing mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit? There's nine things there. Think with me. What's the very last one? Huh? Temperance. That has to do with what we call self-control. Now, just because we call it self-control doesn't mean that we're the one, you know, that's doing it. But it's self-control in that God enables us to maintain control of ourselves. And so we are able to terminate fear in our life by realizing that God has made available to us, according to what he says to Timothy here, power, love, and a sound mind. Look, that's not just for a few select, super-duper spiritual Christians. That's for every child of God. Because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you have the same potential as every other Christian. Which tells us what? It tells us that there is no excuse for our failures because we have in the person of the Holy Spirit everything we need. Warren Wiersbe uh, wrote something many years ago that relates to this and I jotted it down, and I just want to read this and close. He says, The world bases its peace on its resources, while God's peace depends upon relationships. To be right with God means to enjoy the peace of God. The world depends on personal ability, but the Christian depends on spiritual adequacy in Christ. In the world, peace is something you hope for or work for, but to the Christian, peace is God's wonderful gift received by faith. Unsaved people enjoy peace when there is an absence of trouble. Christians enjoy peace in spite of trials because of the presence of power, the Holy Spirit. 
People in the world walk by sight and depend on the externals, but Christians walk by faith and depend on the eternals. Oh, that is so very well said because it reminds us of exactly what Paul was saying to Timothy in his fear, in his frailty, with all of the difficulties going on in his life. It's as though he's, it's as though he's putting his arm around that young preacher saying, Look, son, you don't have anything to worry about. Because God in the person of the Holy Spirit has already given you everything you need to be successful. And folks, listen, that's the key. Being convinced, being convinced that we have that is the key to us being able to accomplish God's will in our life. If you had a million dollars in the bank and you didn't know it was there, it would be of no benefit to you whatsoever. You'd never draw on it. You'd never, you couldn't rest in the fact that I don't need to worry about paying my bills this week. But just knowing that money is there in the bank, it's there when you need it, boy, it gives you a special kind of peace because now you don't have to fret about paying the bills. You don't have to fret about the college tuition or any of those things because you have it there in reserve, ready when needed. And as Christian people, we must every day of our life keep in mind that we already have. It's not something that, you know, we need to get. It's something that we already have in the person of the Holy Spirit that will empower us, enable us to do the will of God for our life. So we don't, have to, we don't have to be defeated and paralyzed by fear. We can be more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's all stand together as we close tonight. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that we might think, well, I've got a good grip on life. There's not anything that I'm really worried about or fearful of. And so this really doesn't mean all that much to me. But let me tell you, it might be tomorrow or next week or next month, but some point in time in your life that you're going to find yourself up against it up against something, and you're going to find yourself threatened by fear, and it'll rob you of your joy, it'll strip you of your power, it will make you miserable, and you need to remember what we've been talking about here tonight, that in spite of appearance, in spite of your feelings, God has already given to you power and love and a sound mind. With His help, you can do it. You can do it. You don't need to worry about it. He is in control. Let's sing together.